Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Derek Riddle. Last October, Derek had a near-death experience, and during his NDE, he encountered angels, and now we're going to learn about it. Derek, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, Derek, as you may or may not know, my audience loves to hear about NDEs, so if you don't mind, can we start on the day <clears throat> yours happened and go from there? Um, yeah, uh, it was uh, October 16th of 2020. Um <clears throat> I'd had a surgery uh, the previous uh, couple months before that in July. And what they gathered was during that surgery, my spleen was lacerated and um, it was bleeding out and I was sewn up and I didn't know that Um, I was slowly filling with toxins and poisons. Um, And as that happened, I had a a seizure and it was a septic seizure. Uh, Hospital didn't know what was wrong with me, ended up sending me home. Um, telling me it was just an allergic reaction uh that happened three times um on october 15th uh at or going into october 16th at five in the morning i took an airplane ride from spokane washington down to las vegas the plan was was to help my mother pack a you my grandmother excuse me pack a u-haul and then drive it back up to spokane the following day um and immediately upon landing, I started feeling really sick and really lethargic. And this is on top of feeling sick and not so right from these seizures that I was having and not knowing what they were. And we got the uh, U-Haul packed. I don't, I don't know how I did it. I was hurting. I kept sitting down. I just kept telling my grandma I'm not feeling well. Went back to the motel. And the thing was, is we were supposed to hit the road at like seven in the morning. And five in the morning, I got up and I, I couldn't stand up. I was bent over. My guts hurt really, really bad. And I had to come seven in the morning. My grandma's calling me. Everybody's ready to go. They're all waiting on me. And I said, there's, there's something wrong here. I, my stomach hurts way worse than normal. And, uh, yeah, went to the emergency room. They, uh, did emergency CAT scan told them I'd had a surgery a couple months ago. I think I might've popped my stitches and they came back and said, uh, you, uh, have some very large, dark, uh, areas according to the, uh, MRI and it's indicative of, uh, internal bleeding and you're going for a helicopter ride. Hmm. And they took me for a helicopter ride to Las Vegas. 
and they got me there and they got me off the helicopter. And as they were wheeling in, they were asking me questions like, um, uh, is it okay if they give me blood? And it was right at that moment when they said that, that I realized like, wait a minute, this is, this is pretty heavy. This is, it, it, it all happened so fast. I'm saying you're going for a ride on a helicopter and them getting me ready and me and them putting me on. And I was, as I was signing the okay form for that, I was realizing like this, this, this might be it. This is pretty heavy. They're giving me blood. And then, um, that's all I remember until I opened my eyes and I'm, I'm going to describe this as if I'm you looking straight forward. So everything that I see is, for example, is from my vision looking this way. So what happened was the last thing I remember signing those papers and everything. And then I opened my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, I was standing over what looked like a big platform. And the only thing I can describe about that is that it looked like Grand Central Station. It was packed. There were all kinds of people in there. And the crowd, the way it went back here, were bad people. Really, really bad people. Like serial killer, rapist type of people. And these people, like some of them, it, it was, it, it, some of them were still hurt. Like it was weird. It, it was kind of like Beetlejuice. Like, like there was one that I kind of remember in particular and he was just, and he was mangled. Like maybe he was in an accident and he was just sitting there. Ah, ah. And as these people, this crowd went like this, I, the energy of the crowd kind of shifted where it wasn't so negative and it got a little bit more more better i guess until i got towards this area and when it got to this point it broke off into lines and these lines were hitting right here what looked like all i can describe it is is a slipstream and that slipstream was like uh finding nemo when they when they're in the the ocean part you know and the turtles like we got to catch the jet stream and it made sense in that moment right then what that was, was that was the ride back to here to do all this over again, because for some reason there's something in this life that every single person you, it's like a test and you have to get it right. And if you don't get it right, you got to do all this over again. And I, and I think that's where the past life thing comes in. If life was a test of like a hundred questions, I feel like you could either fail it at question number three or you could fail it at question number 97. Like it's, and, and it doesn't matter where you fail it. You got to go back and do it over. And depending on how bad you were and how bad you screwed up on that test depends on how much farther back in the crowd you are before you can get all the way up here. And for some reason, I feel like if you're all the way in the back, you have to stay there. And I don't know why this number comes up to my head, but I feel like you have to stay there for 900 years before you're allowed to come back. Because I feel like when you come here, you're basically given a 100 year window to pass this test. And if you don't get it right, you got to come back. I feel like. 
when you come back, you come back as some type of life form, whether or not it's human or animal, I don't know, but it's definitely a life form with feelings and its own free will, I guess. Um, as I'm looking over this platform and I'm looking and it's, it's like everything is clicking and making sense to me. And as I look over the platform and over these people and I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm just a little bit above, like, I don't know, kind of like if you're at a concert and you're standing room only and someone boosts you up a little bit and you could see over everything. And in the back, I could see like double doors, like theater double doors kind of thing. And they were chained. And as I'm seeing this and everything's coming to mind and like, oh, this is why these people are back here. And this is why these people are here. And at that point, I looked up to my left of the corner and I saw a light and it was coming. It wasn't beaming straight at me. I feel like it was coming in a like an L shape, but from both sides. And it was a very it was bright, but it was um, it was like a fluorescent bulb, like it's bright, but you could stare at it and it doesn't blind you. And. When I looked up at the light and, it, and it's weird because any anything where I say like I was speaking or they spoke to me, it, it's like there was no sentence structure. It, it was just there, I guess, like just there was no beginning or no end of a sentence. It was just like the whole sentence being right there, just like understanding. Um, and the energy that was being to me, I was asked, do you believe in God? And instantly I got like that feeling you get when you're oh, 10 years old and they call on you to read in front of the whole class. Like, oh, and even though I was in that state, I still felt completely lucid. I felt just like me. I felt like I could have my thoughts just like I do now. And when I got asked, do you believe in God? The first thing I thought was, well, if you lie to them, they're going to know. Now, I've always considered myself spiritual. I do believe in a higher power. Um, I was raised Catholic um, with the Catholic church scandals. We don't need to go into that, but it's made me question a lot about Catholic religion. And, you know, I, I, I do believe in a higher force and a creator. Um, and so basically I'm spiritual and I believe in, you know, spread the word, love and all that. But. I guess basically what I said was in my thought was, you know, I don't really believe in gods as far as like religion, but I believe you should be a good person. And at that point and energy, and it felt like, like I said, it was like an L shape. It felt like the energy was coming from this way and it was a judging energy. And what happened was when they judged me, they looked right into my heart. I didn't ask any more questions after that. And what happened was as soon as I said, you know, I think you should just be a good person. I felt this energy beam and it looks like it looked like if I took a deck of cards and I shuffled it right in front of your face right there. And it was my life flashing and it was going through my whole life like that. And. As it was doing that, it spit out two memories, twing, twing. 
And one memory, true stories, one memory was when I was like six years old. And I don't know why, but I woke up in the middle of the night. I went to the bathroom. I went out to the living room, turned the TV on. And it was those infomercials, you know, they show it like two in the morning and they show the starving kids over in Africa and, you know, send money to help them and stuff like that. And they're showing these little babies on TV and they're just starving and they're dying. And I just started bawling. I mean, I was crying. I mean, crocodile tears. And my mom came in and she's like, Mijo, what are you doing? What's the, why are you awake? What's the matter? And I remember pointing at the TV going, mom, why do they have to be hungry? That's not fair. And she was, I remember for two in the morning for her being like, why the hell are you out here? She just, she just looked at me like uh, she didn't know what to say. And then she said, Mijo, you know, sometimes things happen. And man, she tried to explain to me and I don't really remember a lot about the rest of that night, just that moment there. And then the next moment was same house, same place that I lived, except Fast forwarded uh, six or seven years, something like that. And she had let me go trick or treating with the teenage boys that lived next door. And my mom worked a really, really late shift. So it was me going trick or treating out with the boys and then coming home and me just being home by myself because, you know, in 1986, that was okay. (laughs) And um, so I went out trick or treating with these boys and we went all over and I used to pillow sack. And I mean, I hauled big time. I had that much candy in that bag. When I came home, I was stoked and I got home and a few minutes later, there was a knock at the door, trick or treat. Oh shit. And I looked around and mom didn't buy no candy. So I'm like, okay, here. And I gave the kid a couple pieces of my candy. Then there was another knock at the door. I eventually ended up and I spent all this time trick or treating and got all that candy I gave out all my candy because the trick-or-treaters wouldn't stop coming. And the next morning when mom got home, she said, where's your candy? And I said, well, I gave it all away. You didn't buy none. And she said, well, you pendejo, what'd you do that for? And I said, because I didn't have the heart to tell them we didn't have any more candy. And those were the two memories that it pulled out of me. And when it pulled those two memories out of me, it lowered me into the crowd. And as I got lowered into the crowd, something started pulling me through the crowd. And as I was pulling through the crowd, people were uh, like, you ever see like sometimes in movies where they make like that bubble and you can kind of see ahead of you, but everything's blurred around. And that's kind of what it, my vision looked like as I moved through the crowd and I could see faces that were blurry until they got like right about here then I could recognize that. Um, I don't want to put people on blast, but I saw, uh, I I will say I I saw my grandmother there. Um, She was in line and she was, she was next in line. And we have since had a falling out and we don't talk anymore. She does not know. She knows what happened to me. She was, you know, she knows I was in the hospital. We were all, you know, really tight, everything. I never told her that I saw her on the platform. I wanted to someday, maybe when the time was right, but we ended up having a falling out and now we don't talk anymore. And, and so I, I don't know if, I don't know if that's why I saw her on the platform. Um, but I saw 
two other people on the platform that I know. Um, and sitting way in the back, I saw uh, my childhood abuser. I saw other people that I could make out their face, but I don't know who they are. But I can tell you that if someday if I cross paths with them and see them, I know it'll be instantaneous recognition. Um, so I started getting pulled through this crowd. And as I'm getting through, I'm seeing people in line, people upset that they're in line. And mind you, this crowd is like, I mean, it's hot. It's steamy. It stinks. It's miserable. It's people are sweaty. People are hurt. People are injured. It's like the walking dead kind of like, it's like third world mad maxi. Like it was just, and, and nobody wanted to be there. Like that was the feeling was like, Oh, I don't want to be here. Nobody wanted to be there. Everybody was unhappy especially the people all stuck way in the back. And then as it pulled me through, I got towards the end and I came up towards these doors that were locked up. And as I got up towards the doors, they opened, the chains just came apart and the doors opened. And as I came through these doors, I was standing behind a row of people and in front of me was a lady and a young boy and next to this lady was another young lady and then another young lady and then a teenage girl. And as I looked over the boy's shoulder, I saw laying in their coffin um, and I won't say his name and put him on blast, but I will say he is somebody that I have known since childhood and we're like that. So if he's watching this, he knows exactly who he is. Because I called him on day number five in the hospital after I played this over and over in my head, telling myself that, that this wasn't a dream. This was real. And I saw him in his coffin. And that family that I was looking at, that little boy was his boy. And in my, in my experience at that time, his boy was maybe about 12 years old. But right now, his boy is like nine, almost 10. So, and this person, uh, like I said, grown from, uh, from childhood that I've known since childhood hasn't, uh, exactly been making the best choices and doing dumb things. And, um, I mentioned this to him, told him if he doesn't change his ways flat out that I know what I saw. And if you don't change your ways, you're going to die. And I don't know. He chooses not to believe me. And I will say for the record, uh, about a week later, uh, he had a big uh, meltdown and there were phone calls and authorities involved. And, and I don't know, we, we don't really talk much now to the best of my knowledge. He's still alive. He hasn't checked any of my messages. I message him every now and again, just to touch bases. Hey, old friend, how you doing? But uh, if anything did go south with him, I, I know enough people that I would be one of the first ones to hear. But other than that, he seems to be okay for now. So after I saw that, this is when it gets kind of... After I saw him and realized what I was seeing and everything, 
I was pulled past through them again. And as I was pulled through them, everything went dark and I was standing there and it felt like I was standing on something, but there was nothing under me. And it felt like almost like that background behind you, like space, but no stars, but light like that, but still dark. Like, uh, Back home in California, where I used to live, uh, on the beaches at night, the, the moon would get so bright, it would actually cast a shadow. You know, it'd be, it'd be 11 o'clock at night, but you could still do, you know, uh, shadow puppets on the beach. It's just it's dark, but it's bright. And that's kind of how it was. And I felt like I was floating in this void looking around, and I couldn't really see anything. And as I looked up in the corner, I saw a light that came down to me and it started getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally it got to, I'd say, where it was not directly in front of me, but above about like if you were flying a kite in front of you right there. And it was my friend Sharon. I have her picture right here. Uh, my friend Sharon. We, um, we used to work together, uh, 20, 23 years ago, 22 years ago. This is my friend, Sharon. And she passed away last summer from cancer. And I went and saw her probably about a month before she passed away. And, um, I have a nickname. Everybody calls me jumpy. And it's funny because every time I would see Sharon at work or at our favorite hangout where we'd go sing karaoke or whatever, I walk in and she go, hi, jumpy. Hi. And as I'm standing there looking and this being is coming and it gets closer and closer and I get, and she's like 300 feet tall. And she looks just like she does in that picture, all smiling and great with her hair, all poofy, but she's glowing from the neck down. And she's glowing like, um, like, uh, that old Superman movie with Christopher Reeve when he found his parents in the cave and they were like glowing in that like uniform thing. It was like a full body uniform, but it was glowing like the, it was like on the movie Cocoon, a Steven Spielberg movie, those people that glowed. And that's what she looked like. And when she came down and I saw her and I recognized her and I said, Sharon? And she goes, hi, Jumpy. And I stopped and I went and I look and I realized that she's looking like an angel. So I said, I was like, wait, oh, my God, am I? Is this? And right then I thought to myself, I said, am I dead? And right when I thought that thought and asked her, am I dead? She goes, Jumpy, look like that. And, and when I look back, there was this lady here, and that's my son. In California, I got married when I was 20, and we had a little boy, and his name was Cody. And he passed away when he was six months old. And... uh Long story short, the lady in the picture with him, his grandmother, my mother-in-law, we were like that. 
she had had cancer this whole time and we didn't know it. She never told anybody. And so when we buried our son, about a week later, she ended up in the emergency room sick. and We don't know why. And the doctors are like, well, she has cancer and blah, blah. And we're like, what? And she's, well, I didn't want to tell you guys because of, you know, and it was six weeks later, we buried our son. We turned around and buried her mother. And Barbara is her name. You know, there was the hospice care. Um, I was the last one to ever, the last words she ever spoke on this planet were help. I'm having trouble breathing. And that was with me. I was the only one home with her. My wife had went down to the courthouse to finish filing the custody papers for her little brother. And uh, a few days before that, we were having like just some sweet moments and everything. And I was talking to Barbara and, you know, Barbara knew that her time was short and she said, I just want you to know something. She goes, someday when it's your time. She said, I'll be there with your son waiting for you. And when I looked at Sharon and I said, oh, my God, wait, am I, am I, am I dead? And she goes, Derek, look. And when she did like that and she pointed just back in the distance was Barbara. And Barbara was the same way, glowing being all the way down, her hair just all poofy. And I looked and I was all, Barb. And she looked and she waved and she goes, like that. And she pointed off to her right. And so that would have been her pointing that way to her right. And so I looked over and just off in the playground, off in the distance, I saw, and it was light coming down on a playground. And this playground had kids on it that were playing. Uh, there were older kids. There were younger kids. But on this playground, right in the middle, there was one of those those things on the playground that you spin, they just go around, you know, you can stand on them. They got the little bars or whatever. The we, Me and my friends, we used to get on there and spin it as fast as we could and, you know, fling the other dude off or whatever. And I looked over and I saw my son and he was like seven years old. And I just knew everything inside me told me that was my son. And he was playing. And I looked up at Barbara and I was like, is that my son? Can I see him? Can I? And she nodded and she said, yeah. And as I stepped forward, something inside of me told me that if I did that, it was a one-way trip. There was like this energy behind me that I could feel like it was, it was almost like a suction. And the farther I got away from it, the less it sucked me. Like I was tethered and the more I walked away, the weaker the link got. And I stopped and I thought about my grandmother and moving and the truck. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be driving a U-Haul truck back home. I can't, I can't go. I got, I got things to do. I got, I still have a daughter at home that's 16, you know, I have my other daughters and I, I said, I can't, I can't, I can't stay. And I looked at, and I looked at Sharon and I said, I can't, I can't stay. 
And she goes, okay, bye, Jumpy, bye. And as I said that, she just started fading back like that. And uh, I woke up. And I woke up in the hospital. And that's when the doctor started asking me, hey, you know, you know your name, what day it is, where you're at, blah, blah. And that's when he says, so you didn't have any split stitches in your stomach from your surgery. So what are you talking about? He says, well, as soon as we cut you open, uh, we, we noticed the smell, there was something going on and we, they did an exploratory surgery. I got the reports. And at that point, when they opened me up, the first thing they noticed was the smell from the abscess that had completely covered the room. Um, my spleen, the whole bottom half of it was dead and my left lung was shut down. So I was in organ shutdown at that point. Um, they pumped 800 milliliters of blood upon cracking the open. That's what they pulled out of my cavity and, uh, 800 milliliters. I, I'm not a bottle of alcohol, a bottle of liquor standard bottle is 750 milliliters. So they pulled out right off the bat, one of those plus a little bit more. Um, that's when he explained to me about my spleen and this and that. He said, yeah, your spleen was cut. And what happened was it started to bleed out and your body's natural defense covered it and tried to scab it over per se. And then just through natural wear and tear and natural activity, you'd, you'd, you'd compromise it a little bit and it'd bleed out and then it'd recover and, they said it, it built up to be a big abscess. And what happened was when I got on that plane and flew the pressurization from the cabin and it just blew it wide. And that's why. And the doctor told me that ha with me already having three septic seizures and with my organs in shutdown, that had I not got on that plane, the next seizure I had probably would have been my last one. And so without even realizing it, getting on that plane at the same time saved my life because it caused everything to happen so fast to make me go back to the hospital. Because that morning I was that far away from saying, you know what, Derek, you can suck this up. There's other people driving. You can drive in shifts. You can just lay down. You can tough this out. And I don't know if you know anything about the drive from Las Vegas uh, Nevada, all the way up through Washington state, but there's hours and hours of nothing. And the doctor told me, had I had an attack out there in the middle of nowhere, they would, they would have never made it to me in time that I, I would have never made it. And so I, uh, I consider myself very, very lucky to be alive. Um, I've played it over and over in my head. Like I said, I sat in my room for like four or five days thinking to myself and I've never, I've never had a dream like this. Like I said, it was so every detail I could still, I can remember the smell. I can remember the, I can remember the, the stickiness and the humidity of the, the heat. I can, rem I remember the energy hitting me. Like it was, there was, and, and you know, when I say like, it doesn't matter what religion you practice. They, they just looked into my heart. 
they just looked at what kind of person I was. There was, I mean, everything that I am, everything that's, it was all out on the table. I was an open book for them to read. There was no, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I feel like, like with what I saw and like the bad people being in the back, I'm, I believe life is like a, a balance. I, I very much believe in karma. I believe in good and evil. I 100% believe that bad people go bad places and good people go good places, but you have to fundamentally be good more than bad. Uh, the 10 commandments kind of from what I can remember went through my head during all that, that also went through my head. And from what I saw of the 10 commandments in reality, they're more like guidelines and it's more like common sense. Like thou shalt not steal, right? Don't be a thief, dude. Nobody likes a thief, <laughs> you know, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Of course not. You can marry. That's your partner. That's a, you know, that, uh, thou shalt honor thy mother and thy father. That one I'm mixed about because I really feel like some people after seeing what I saw that some people are just bad. It doesn't matter whether or not I don't feel like I, I, if you're Ted Bundy, I don't care how many prayers you did. That, that's not going to save you. <laughs> you that this is the part of the where I say you messed up the test so bad. There's there's no you don't you know there, you're not going to do enough Hail Marys to get out of that one. I mean, you know, did Hitler find religion right at the end? Because if it did, how did that work out for him? You know, um, that whole like eye for an eye thing that's in the Bible, the eye for an eye. I feel like that's a real thing. Like you, you give what you get, give what you receive. Everything deserves an equal and opposite, I guess. And to honor thy mother and thy father, sometimes thy mother and thy father are assholes. Well, let me ask you this. How do you think you've changed since this incident? With issues with my son, uh, I have a major, major piece with that now. Um, <laughs> something kind of uncanny. My son was born on August 13th, and it happened to be on a Friday. So he was born on the Friday the 13th. <laughs> of all signs to be born under, you know. And Friday the 13th happens naturally like twice a year. So, you know, there's twice a year where I, I, it's constant reminder, you know, and for years, you know, the day he passed away, January 16th, that's a hard day, but I would, I would always work or whatever, but his birthday, that was, that was a day that I just, I just couldn't do I, his birthday. And honestly, I would wake up in the morning, I'd start drinking and I'd be, I'd be smashed by nine o'clock in the morning, just depressed. I just, I couldn't handle his birthday. And I missed him so bad that about a year after he passed away, I tried to commit suicide. And I was so messed up in my head that in my thought process, I wasn't killing myself. In my thought process, I was just putting myself on the same level to be able to see him again. I wanted to see him so bad and I was messed up on a lot of drugs. I was drinking alcohol. I was not in my right mind. And somehow I thought, well, if I did that, you know, 
And um, as you see, it wasn't successful. I'm still here. Thank goodness. Um, but seeing him again and seeing what he's doing and he's a little boy playing now for that moment, what I saw and where I was and what I saw my boy doing and what I felt and where I was at, I feel like that was heaven. And I feel like it was heaven, not so much because it was unicorns and rainbows, but because every being that I was around, I knew was pure of heart. And like, I didn't have to worry about anybody hurting me. And what I saw of my son was he was spending his eternity as a child playing. And if you can remember back, anybody remember back to just those moments when you were a kid and you were outside and you were playing in the dirt and whatever, and you didn't have a care in the world and you had your care and just that moment of pure innocence and happiness. And that's what he's doing for the rest of his eternity. And I mean, How's that not heaven? You just get to be a kid and play every day and not have to worry about a damn thing. Do you think that you were taken to that station place because you were shown people to warn them when you come back? Or do you think it was a warning to you personally, like you should, you know, maybe live a good life or something? Um, You know, I think what I took back from that. When I said, when I was given, when I felt like I was given that choice of I could go to my son, but when I do, I'm going to leave these responsibilities behind. At that moment, I felt like the responsibility, like I, I have to do this. I have to help these people. And it wasn't just my family. In that moment, I felt like I had purpose here on this earth and my job was to help people. And I've, I've always kind of been a try to pay it forward kind of guy. I'm the guy that'll pay for your coffee. If I'm in front of you in the, in the line, um, just this last Thanksgiving, uh, I had Thanksgiving, a couple friends over or whatnot. I made up three huge plates of leftovers. I drove down, um, and I found, uh, three of the first homeless people that I could see. And I gave them a plate and I just said, Hey, you guys here, here have some food, pay it forward. Um, you know, I'm just, I, it, it's the little things that I always try. I'm always the guy that tries to open, hold open the door for you. I'm the guy who always tries to say thank you or please. Um, I, I definitely feel like there was a reason for me seeing what I did. I shared this experience with people and they were like, oh, well, you saw hell. That means you're going back there. I said, no, I don't. I don't think that means I'm going back there. I just think that means that I was shown that this is a real place and this is where the bad people go. This is where the not so bad people go. This is what's going to happen. If you screw up, you're going to come back here. What you do now depends on how long you're sitting here or whether or not you're waiting on the bench for 900 years. And when you do get to go see good places, those are good places where you just get to be happy for the rest of your life. And with that giant void in me, I mean, of course, my loved ones, uh, I have an older brother that passed away. Both my parents are gone, but my son, that was, uh, that was the one. And I never thought I would see him again. And I did see him and it wasn't a dream. It was real. It was so real. 
Right. It, would you say that it's more real over there than it is here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything was. It, it's weird because all this, all my sentence senses were like heightened by 10. Just the whole talk thing. It was more like telepathic. Like I could just I could. It, they seem so far away, but yet they sounded like they were talking right in my ear. They the feelings that I get, the emotions, it, it, it felt connected, you know, the, the happiness when I saw Sharon, it felt like the beam of happiness. I do want to say that when, when I say I was judged and they looked into my heart, I felt like it was a council. I don't feel like it was an, uh, I don't feel like it was a, a an individual being, and I'm just going to use the word like God or Jesus. I don't feel like it was one. I feel like it was a group. And for some reason, I feel like I know I've made mistakes in my life. We're human, but I'm the kind of guy like, you know, like if I found five bucks on the street, Hey, there's nobody around. Find your keepers, bro. I got five bucks. But am I going to steal five ball, five bucks out of your wallet when you're not looking? Absolutely not. You know, and I feel like when they say Jesus was put on the cross and he had he had a, a bad man on one side and a good man on the other side. When I say I was judged by that one side, I feel like it was. I feel like it was the bad man that judged me because it was up to him to see whether or not those little bad things that I did were okay. And like, thou shalt not kill. If you're hunting to feed your family, I feel like it's okay. If you shoot a rhino just to take a picture with it, that's not okay. And so I feel like I was judged by somebody or a being that would decide what are the little things that are okay, I guess, you know, I mean, if you take things completely literal, the 10 commandments per se, you know, if you take it absolutely completely literal, then pretty much everybody is going to be condemned. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, thou shalt not kill. How many hunters are going to be automatically that were just trying to feed their families? You know, um, you know, thou shalt not lie. And how many, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, I was five when it was really five and a half or whatever, you know, just the little things. Okay. Yes. You shouldn't have lied, but is that one little tiny thing going to keep you out of what you see as the good places? Um, you know, I don't, it's it's so hard to explain. It just, it feels like it's a balance. And depending on where you're at, whether you're really good or just kind of good, whether you're kind of bad or whether you're really, really bad. It seems to me that after your life review, you were offered to go to heaven. Uh, it, it, I, I think so. I mean, I... It was up to me. It, it was it was weird because 
the only thing that those powers that I felt, the only thing that was said to me from them was asked if I believed in God. And with my feeling, I answered, you know, like, I believe in a higher power. I think you should just be good. And that's when I was judged, when I had the life flash in front of me and all the, and everything. But was seeing and all that and then seeing my son and being so excited. And it was, it was like instantaneous. As soon as I took a step, that's when I knew it. I just, they didn't have to tell me. I just knew. Cause I could feel, I could feel like, I don't know, I guess the hole behind me, as I stepped away, it seemed to get closer. I had to stay right there in order to come back. And it gave me the peace that if I saw my son this time, as long as I continue to live my life the way I am with how I am and the thoughts that I have, maybe not all of them, <laughs> but uh, I think, I think I'll be okay. Yeah. After your experience, have you become more religious? Uh, no, no. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's weird. You ever seen the movie Young Guns? Mm-hmm. Yep. there's a part where Doc Holliday is talking and he said you know there's a little boy playing a game of Fantan and this guy comes or there's three boys playing a game of Fantan and the guy comes in and says the world's ending you know what are you going to do and one kid says well I think I'm going to go rob all these banks and get all this money and the second kid says well I'm going to take the money that I do have and I'm going to go get a bunch of tequila and I'm going to party And the third one says, I'm just going to finish the game. And that's how I feel like I am after my experience. Like, okay, with everything I said, I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep going the way I'm going, believing what I believe and doing what I do. Um, I don't have a racist bone in my body. I don't care what color you are. I think you should just be good to people. You know, I try to give everybody that chance. And until you do something to me personally, we're okay. You know, um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. That part confuses me on how people can just be like that in general, just be so you know, obnoxious or rude or just mean, like, where does that come from? I believe you said that you told your friend that you saw in the coffin Yes. Talk to him when you told him that. How did he react? Uh, you know, he he just sat there and looked at me like this. And I was like, you know, it's this this is real. I I do believe. And he listened to me and he listened to everything that I had to say. And I actually went down to visit him. Uh see what was it uh late February. And when I got there to visit him, I could see by his overall appearance and whatnot that he was still making bad choices. And uh, I said, Hey man, before I go home, let's you and me sit down and have a, have a good talk just brother to brother. And he just kind of did one of these and he rolled his eyes and I was like, and he was like, okay. And I just thought, all right, and I never had that talk with him that I, 
became very obvious that he he heard what I had to say. He doesn't care. And I feel like there's really nothing more I can do. His whole family knows. His whole family knows what I saw. Um, his his daughter likes to draw cartoon characters. She's like 12. And she was showing me these cartoon characters and talking about a world that she invented that they're in. And I said, yeah, it's kind of like with my experience, because I, I freely talk about it. And right then, my friend pipes in. Yeah, he he believes he saw some stuff while he was under. And I turned and looked at him and I looked at his daughter and I said, so what I did see while I was under and he interrupted again, he goes, what he believes he saw. And it's I I just I feel like I've I, I've, I've done what I was supposed to do. Right. And uh, I will also say that this whole experience has seemed to heighten my senses a little bit. Um, uh, I don't want to bring, uh, too many details to the forefront, but, uh, I will say there was, uh, I was, uh, doing a little side gig working. Um, and I felt like the job was getting dangerous and I really needed to get out of there. I talked with my family. I said, I don't, I just have the weirdest thing. Um, I just, I need, I need to, I need to get out of there. I need to, it's just, I don't, I'm not happy with this. And at this point I'd helped out at this place off and on for almost 10 years. And so, um, I said, all right, that's it. Uh, I abruptly left on the spot one night. I don't know what hit me. I just, you know what, this is it. I'm done. And about two weeks later, there was an accident and somebody lost their life. And it was during the required shift time of when I was supposed to be there. And with what happened and where it had, I should have been right there. Mm. And that one keeps going through my head. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It was just like a feeling of dread. Do you think that you have any abilities now after your experience that you didn't have before? Um, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. I feel, I feel like I'm, I seem to be a little more, I, I wake up now and I know I've had, I want to say that I've had, uh, dreams. Um, I did have, I feel like it was a dream, but not so much. It was just last week. And I told my girlfriend about it because it felt like my experience. I was completely lucid. I could see around. I could hear my thoughts. I could feel myself breathing. I felt just like I did during my experience, except I was walking down a big, long hallway and it was squared, but it was like purple mist all around it, kind of glowing like a black light kind of. And I just kept walking and walking and walking and walking down this hall and just going like, Jesus, does this ever end? And walking and and it seemed like I just walked forever until I woke up. Hmm. But I don't have no idea what that meant or what it was or what I was doing, but it, it, that wasn't a dream. I don't know if you would call it an astral projection or even if that's what that was, but just the feeling of waking up, being able to recall the exact moment, the details of seeing how I felt 
it's weird because as I was under, I was like, oh, shit, I'm here again. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I don't I don't think I have like ESP or anything like that. But when it came to me being in danger, I think that overwhelming feeling, I think I think my guardian angels maybe just kind of just sent me a warning to stay, say, stay away from there. Because, like I said, it was very abruptly that I left. Do you fear death anymore? Uh, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know if you can you can see too much, but I have this huge scar on my head right here, and I was attacked and mauled by a dog when I was like three years old, and I was almost killed then. I don't really remember anything. I just remember waking up in the hospital. My my family tells me about this. For me. It's almost as if my life begins that day in the hospital. I have zero memories before that. But then again, I was only like three, three and a half, really, really young. Um, I do remember for the longest time I walked like funky. And when I would reach for something, it was like this because my equilibrium was all messed up. Um, When I was 12, I got really, really, really sick. And I ended up in the hospital for like a week with some kind of virus. My eyes were sunk into my head. Um, being really, really sick, being mauled by that dog, this accident, it's, it's kind of a running joke with my family that, that you can't kill me. (laughs) I tell them, I think I'm Wolverine or something. And I just got like some miraculous healing powers. I know, I don't know. I did do a 23 in me and found out that my gene goes back 275,000 years and that I'm actually a descendant according to the 23 and me of uh, King Nile of the nine hostages, who was the high King of Ireland way back when, hmm. but I have no castle. So who knows <laughs> what inspires you about your NDE? Um, the fact that I did feel a loving place and that fundamentally good people go to good places that there really is, I mean, I don't want to delve into my childhood, but I, I, I have a childhood that I'd really care not to ever repeat. Like I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And when I had got married and I had my little boy, I was going to college to be a forest ranger. I was married. I had a little boy. I mean, I was a happy, happy man. And I felt like after all that bullshit that I had went through growing up, the abuse, the trials, courts, the workers, everything that I went through, I felt like at the end, that was my reward. Was I had to go through all this shit to have this piece of loving life. And that was all that mattered. And when my son died, it, it, it all, I, I gave up. That was where I was just like, screw this. There is no happy ending. There is no God. There's no, there is no happy ending. And, and, uh, that's when I turned to drugs and started making really bad decisions. Uh, that's when I tried to kill myself. Um, and one day I kind of had an epiphany and I thought to myself, you know, had my son not died, what was one of the number one things that I want to teach him? The, same thing that I try to teach all my 
children, my daughters to just, just life is about fighting the good fight. Be good. Keep going. Don't give up, you know, fight the good fight and don't give up. And I just saw myself and I just thought like, what if your son could see you now giving up like this, like everything you were supposed to teach him and you're not doing it, Derek, (laughs) you know, and that was part of, I think it's uh, one of those where you got to start over and just whole new surroundings. And so, so I just came two more States away and I actually moved here with a girl that I was dating at the time. She had family here. So I moved up with her and her family. I didn't know anybody. And we ended up breaking up about a year and a half, almost two years later. But by then I'd lived here long enough that I'd liked the place and I like, and I was working and I said, I think I'm going to stay. And that's when, like I said, it wasn't long after my little sister were like this, she followed me. And then it was about a year or so after that, my mom and my brother followed me. And then finally my older sister followed me and my little sister, she followed me up here. This is, and up here is where she met her husband and had three kids. And my older sister who moved up here with my nieces that are grown, this is where they met their husbands and had their kids. So this fork of my life, this fork of my life caused major forks in the life of my family. So I coming here was, this was on my plate. I'm supposed to be doing all of this. This is, this is like, if I had, I not come here, my sisters wouldn't have come here. If they wouldn't have come here, their grandkids wouldn't exist. Their kids wouldn't exist. My daughters wouldn't exist. Yeah. That's amazing to think about. Yeah. My message is it doesn't matter what type of religion you may practice or what you think your God says you must do. It, I, it comes down to just being a good person. There's no bad in me. I'm not, I don't know you, but I'm not going to wrong you over. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to steal you. I'm not going to try to take your stuff. I'm not going to try to take your place. Hopefully we can get along. And that's, that's my message. I, they did, they religion and all that. They, they didn't care. They didn't ask me. Well, Derek, thank you for your message. And thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. I really appreciate you. I wish you the best and have a great evening. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. All right. Take care, Derek. All right. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.